0: Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Isn't that amazing, though? You look at this passage, you look at this statement, especially in verse 7, and I think you cannot help it by saying, wow. In a world that is so filled with fears, God tells us, and he did not give us a spirit of cowardice, of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. When we look at scripture about fear and courage and the presence of God in the Holy Spirit, which is what? Paul was talking about in his letter to Timothy. There is a positive fear and there is a negative fear. There is a good fear and a bad fear. A good fear could be the fear of touching a stove, a hot stove, after you burn yourself the first time. That's a healthy fear. There is a very good fear, which in the Greek is expressed by the term eulabea, which is a fear intended as a religious reverence It is also translated as reverent submission. It's an attitude of the inner being which is then displayed and externalized in actual worship of God. So when you hear the scripture talking about the fear of God, usually that's a term that is used. It's a positive, a good fear in the sense of awe and respect and reverence. But there is another fear that is the one that Paul addressed with Timothy. It was a different Greek term he used. He used "dailia," which is cowardice, fearfulness, reticence, a fearful spirit that overwhelms an individual and stops the individual from doing what he should be doing. It's usually used in a in a negative sense, and it indicates a hindrance indicates a state of the spirit of an individual who has very little trust, actually. Then there is, of course, another Greek term that is used, and that can be understood based on context, because it could be gravitating toward the negative or the positive aspect of the meaning of fear, which is phobos, from which our word phobia comes. And that could be used in context, based on the context, can be used to be a positive fear, can be used to be a negative fear. But today we're going to be concentrating on the negative fear, on that fear that Paul was addressing addressing as he wrote to Timothy. The fear that can paralyze us, the fear that can hinder us, the fear that will get in the way of our relationship with God. And it's very important for us to understand why Paul wrote to Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of such cowardice and fearfulness, but he gave us a spirit of love and power and discipline and how that plays out. I would like to allow scripture, however, to be our guide in, in understanding the statement of Paul. And scripture begins by introducing fear with sinfulness. The very first Mention of fear, we find it in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned and they had a perfect relationship with God or just about as perfect as it could be at that time. They had the intimacy with God. They were communicated with him all the time. But then after sin, after sinning, they hid themselves behind the bushes. And when God confronts them and walks to them and says, where are you? As if he didn't know, by the way. But he was asking them a question because he wanted them to give an answer. And Adam comes up and says, well, we were hiding ourselves because we were afraid. And never before fear had entered into the picture of humankind until sin entered in the picture. So there is a relationship between sinfulness and fear, between sin and fear. And we need to understand what that is and how so that we can understand what Paul was writing to Timothy and how relevant and important it is for us today. Scripture, when you go through the, the negative kinds of, script, of uh, fear in Scripture, you will find that there are several types that stand out. One of them is the fear of idols. And what do we mean with the fear of idols? Well, the Scripture says that there is a positive fear, a holy fear, a, uh, a sense of awe and worship that we should have toward God. But when we displays that and, re, and, and repoint it toward an idol whatever that may be, something else that takes the place of God and we address or project that type of fear toward an idol, that ceases to be a good fear, becomes an enslaving fear in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 it's written, make sure that your character is free from a love of money being content with what you have because he himself has said I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Here, let's look at the, a moment of the explanation a Hebrew has given to us. First of all, he's talking about the love of money. Not just money, but the love of money, which is an idol that many people tend to have. If we are affected by that type of idolatry, if we are given into that kind of an idol, the love of money, chances are that we'll look at money as the answer for most of the questions that we have, for most of the challenges that we face. And in connection with that, the letter to the Hebrews tells us that. We need to remember that we can rely on God instead as being our helper and not be afraid. So in some way, that fear is connected to that need for more money. So then the one who's taken by the love of money, what are the chances that he or she would want more money so that he or she can rely on that money to compensate for some of the fears that he or she has? I'm afraid of what may happen tomorrow, so guess what? I'm going to accumulate a lot of money today so that I can face tomorrow. And I put my trust on that money, and the love of money can do that. Scripture says what well, we would be much better off, trusting in God. In Psalm chapter 55 and verse 4, is written, My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me, fear and trembling, Came upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, "Oh, that I had wings like a dove! I would fly away and be at rest." Now, why would that happen to an individual? What was going on to the psalmist as, as he experienced that? Well, I've experienced fear many, many times. Of course, I, I think we all have. But the very first time I experienced serious fear as a Christian was many years ago. I had little concerns and maybe sometimes worries, but fear was different. And I remember that situation occurred in Pasadena just a few days before my wife and I got married. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with marrying her. (laughs) That's not what I was afraid of. Even though at one point she was afraid of getting married, but that's a different story. Um, now, that fear came up because just uh, as we were preparing the apartment, we had worked very hard during the day with some friends to work on the apartment getting ready for after our wedding. And it was late, had become late, and it was dark, and it was time to, for me to escort her back to her place, and then for me to go back where I was staying. And as I was escorting her, uh, we were assaulted and held up, and an individual, a man, had a knife on my throat, and I could feel the blade going in and moving and pulling my skin. She was held by another man. We were robbed, and I remember very quickly and immediately praying in my mind, Lord, (laughs) I think we're in your hands right now. But I spent the whole time reassuring these people. My voice was calm, reassuring the man and telling him, you know, it's okay, don't worry, I'll be fine. Here's the money. It's all right. It's OK. And that was fine. That's pretty much it. That's all, all I experienced. There, there was no fear whatsoever. Um, I had concern for Suzanne because I saw her being held. I didn't want these people to overreact and do something foolish because of that. So I was concentrating on that. And I was reassuring them and calming them down and make sure that they left without being too nervous. Then I accompanied Sue back home, and I concentrated on her and her experience. And, you know, I found out afterwards, thank God, that the person that was holding her did not have a knife. So she didn't have this knife pointed at her and so on. It was great. It was good. But she obviously was a bit distressed and uh, a little emotional. Not, not Not as much as I expected, but a little bit. And so I took her back home, and I left her there, and everything was fine. I walked back to my place. And as soon as I closed the door, and I was finally alone, all of a sudden, it hit me, and I couldn't stop thinking. Man, I could be dead right now. She could be a widow just before she got married. <laughs> you know, what, what would be the case? Am I ready to, be, to, to, to die right now? And all sorts of thoughts started rushing through my mind, and, and pretty soon it became an agglomerate of very confused, intricate, messed up emotions, one leading onto the other, but you couldn't, you, if you were try to put order in there, you couldn't see any end or tail, it would be impossible, such as the result of stress and trauma and things like that. It's a mess. You cannot compartmentalize your feelings in that situation. They become very confused. And so I was, but something within me told me, wait a second, Luciano, you're a Christian. Now, I never experienced that kind of fear as a Christian after my conversion until that time. And I thought myself, there's something here that is not quite going the way that it should be. And I started questioning myself, where is my faith? Where, where, where is my relationship with God? Why do I feel such an overwhelming fear? I know that something had happened, but look at the facts for a second. One thing I began to realize as I was thinking through and praying about it, and then I just spent most of the night just going through scriptures and looking for a hint of help from God about fear. And the first thing I realized is that fear is not external. Fear is an enemy within. And here's a proof of that. I had a knife on my throat, but I was not afraid. I had no experience of fear at that time. I took my wife back home, and she was a little bit distressed, but I had no experience of fear at all. During the event when the external circumstances would warrant it, I had no experience of fear at all. But it was when I was alone that I started thinking. Then within me, my thought patterns started developing fear. And that was my internal response to the events. And I thought, okay, now that, that's very important for me to understand. Because if I understand that fear is not something outside of me that happens to me, but it's my internal interior response to those events, that maybe there is a hope. Maybe there is something I can do about. It. And that's when I decided to get into Scripture and said, Lord, you got to show me a way out of this, because this is not, is not cannot be like this and stay like this. I, I couldn't keep those feelings within me. And eventually God led me to understand what, Timothy, what Paul wrote to Timothy. That fear can be overcome. That God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us other things, other tools that we can use to counteract this internal inner enemy that we have, that we created within ourselves, which is fear. We mentioned Psalm 55, A man of God who says that he's overwhelmed by these emotions and and, and feelings of fear. And I think what's going on is very easily explained when we look at the example of Peter. And I know I'm bouncing back and forward a little bit, but I hope that it will all come together in a moment. Because scripture makes a very, very good point and very clear point on this. Remember Peter? Peter walked on water one day. Something impossible to do, but he did for a while. Jesus told him to come to him, and Peter went to Jesus, or toward Jesus, instead of walking on the water. And as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, everything was okay. But then he started fearing. Fearing what? Well, there was a storm, the water was splashing all, all around, and this man was not in a boat. And that did not make any sense whatsoever. So I can imagine that Peter started fearing, and why do I think that? Because then afterwards he cries out for help, right? So he's a little bit afraid. And says, Lord, please save me. And what did Jesus do? He picked him up again and took him back to the boat, walking on the water. Now, why is that important in this case? Well, what was Peter's lesson? You take your eyes off of God and place them somewhere else, and you're exposed to fear. Similarly, if we take our eyes off from God, our true God, and we start leaning and relying and counting on other things and thus making them an idol in our life, we are subject to fear. Why? Because somewhere, somehow within us, we know that they cannot deliver what we ask them to deliver. A moment ago in, in Hebrews, we talked about the love of money. What can the love of money, can money really free us from some of the concerns that we have? Well, something inside us tells us no. Because today the money is here, tomorrow it may be gone. So here it comes that awareness that that is not such a reliable means of protection. So we begin to worry about the fact that it may not be there tomorrow. And then we begin to experience fear about something that is about to come. Another type of fear is a fear of man. So the first one teaches us that we should not take away the focus from God, but keep it on God. Because if we take the focus off from God, and we place it on something that replaces God, an idol... Then we are exposed to fear. The second one is fear of man, a concern that we will not measure up to other people or their expectations. And that's a very, very prevalent fear today in our world. We find a hint about that in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. For I, am I now seeking the favor of man or of God? writes Paul to the Galatians. He's making a point here. He's saying, or am I striving to please man? If I were, if we're still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So here Paul, as he writes to Galatians, he's telling us, hey people, why are you so concerned about what people think of you? Why are you so concerned about pleasing people rather than pleasing God? What am I, is that something that you learned from me? Is it something I modeled with you? Am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God. And that's the point that I think is very important, valid for us. If we allow ourselves to have that fear of man, or what other people think of us, or their expectations about us, and try to live up to that, that may be one of those times where people are really big and God becomes very, very small in our minds, in our thinking. Can that affect our relationship with God? Absolutely. People can become an idol themselves. When we try to please others, When we try to please people and live up to their expectations, we can turn them very easily into an idol. On the other hand, when we try to please God, we find that his expectations of us are much more reasonable. In fact, not only he expects certain things of us, but he gives us everything that we need to be that. In fact, he transforms us first, and then he expects us to live up to his calling and to what he has given us. On the other hand, people ask us and expect things of us that we can, oftentimes, we cannot even deliver. We cannot give of them. Look in relationships. People look for each other to receive from one another the things that only God can give. Like, you know, please marry me because I want you to make me happy. I want you to make me fulfilled. I want you to give meaning to my life. And I want you to, to, to make my life worth living. And so and, and many other things like that, which basically tells, I want you to be my God. I want you to fulfill me and fill me up and fill the empty spot that I have that has the, the little name tag that says this belongs to God only, and I want to fill it with you. But those expectations can never be met, can they? People cannot perform that way. And so what happens is as we are disappointed in, in terms of not pleasing others and not receiving good responses from them, we start feeling what they think of us. And that can become an enslaving fear. That can become a fear that stops us. It can become one of those fears that we can spend so much time fearing something that we have no time to do anything about it. And that's sometimes the way it works out. Most often, what we experience is a fear of judgment. A fear of judgment is obviously written in Scripture in terms of the judgment of God, but not only that, it's also in terms of the way we feel like we want to be judged by other people as well. So it's very much connected sometimes to the fear of people. If we know we've done something wrong, and uh, who is not a sinner who has never done anything wrong? I mean, I only know one person, and that's Jesus Christ. So our conscience, unless we seared it, unless we scarred it, Our conscience will tell us there's something not right. It's like a, a red light on a dashboard that says there's something wrong with your engine, our spiritual engine. There's something wrong with us because we've done something wrong. And so the conscience warns us. Now as we experience that, if God is our true God, then we go to him and we seek his forgiveness and things tend to be okay. We will overcome that problem because God will give us what we need for that. But let's assume for a second that we really try to find a meaning in our life in other people rather than God. And we have that fear of people. Now we know that there's something wrong with us. We place those people in the place of God and do we find forgiveness in them? Do we find tolerance in them or do we find judgment in them? Do we find expectations? That's what we see. That's what we find. So not only we are now afraid of a judgment from God, we're also afraid of a judgment from the other people. And of the fact that we can never live up to the image that we portray to them. And so what some people find themselves caught into is a web and an entanglement of the image that they portray to the other people, that it becomes further and further and more and more different from what they are truly within themselves. That's hypocrisy. They try to project themselves and present themselves to others in a way that they are not. Why? Because they're afraid of their judgment. They're afraid of what they think. They have the fear of man combined with the fear of judgment. Now, in scripture, the fear of judgment is often referred to God. But look at the way it is described in Luke 21. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now surely God will judge all things. And perhaps if we have a certain type of fear of the judgment of God, it may even be a healthy fear. Because it will probably lead us to be careful. And to respect him and to honor him and to worship him. But there is another kind of fear, a fear that causes us to be unhealthily passive, like the fainting fear, the overwhelming fear that basically paralyzes us and all that we can do is expect the worst and wait until the time it comes upon us. That leads to the fear of punishment, because there is a punishment for wrong things, there is a punishment for sin, and unless we find forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ, there is absolutely nothing that can spare us from that punishment of sin that we deserve. Now, we can praise God that in him we find that. In him we find a forgiveness. In him we find a reconciliation. Otherwise, it would be quite a terrifying expectation of a judgment and a fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, as is written in Hebrews 10. And that's all there would be left, wouldn't it? Now some people look at the expectation of wrong things and they start working within themselves in those expectations, simmering within them. And uh, it can become overwhelming and consuming. Let me give an example of an individual whose name was Harvey. I, I, I do feel that I think the name was changed, however. It was a colleague of mine, a biblical counselor. He had a, a, a very interesting case that he related. I think he changed the name, um, but he called it Harvey. Harvey was a man in his early 30s. He was a chef. He was a very good chef. and he was on his way of becoming an executive chef in one of the leading restaurants of a large city. So it was a very, very good position, and he had a very promising job. He was married and had two small children, But at one point in his life, he began fearing just about everything, losing his job, getting sick, driving, he was afraid of food poisoning, and so on and on and on. Almost anything gave him fear. The way he himself, Harvey, expressed it was with these words, I know that something is going to go wrong. So oftentimes he wouldn't even try. And he will repeat it to himself over and over. He expected things to go wrong. He expected things to go badly. He ended up isolating himself, put double locks on on every door. He bought a guard dog and kept it inside with him at all times. He isolated himself from his family as well. His marriage was falling falling apart. His life became enslaved to the fear because this man was expecting things to go wrong. And so he would isolate himself more and more. But eventually he was helped by realizing that God is sovereign. Because there are some solutions to fear. And Paul pointed Timothy in that direction. First of all, we need to realize that God is sovereign. And that means that he is in total control. Total control over everything. Total control in our life as well. And if something happens to us, it's either because God caused it or God allowed it to happen. So either God brings it about himself, or God allows it to happen, even though he himself does not bring it about, but he doesn't stop it. And scripture said he is in control. If something happens to us, then God knows and knows it very well, because he is the one that has to give the okay for it to occur. But now if the God that we worship is a God of love, is a true God, then what reason would we have to fear? What reason would we have to be worried? Paul wrote to Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In the first letter to Timothy, he addressed something very similar, and he said what I think is the key to the whole matter now. He said, but the goal of our instruction is love... And again, you link it to the fact that in Second Timothy, in the second letter, in chapter 1, it says, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. So love is a very important key. Perfect love casts out fear, we read in Scripture. In the first letter, he had told him that the goal of our instruction is love that proceeds from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's for First 1 Timothy 1, 1.5. The three elements we find in there is love, and love proceeds from what? Proceeds from a pure heart and for a pure conscience. That means that the individual is at peace with God and at peace with himself and at peace with the people around. And the third element is a sincere faith. So what we understand from that is that a sincere faith in God, that reliance on the fact that God is indeed sovereign, that understanding that God is in control and that trust that we place on him as a sovereign God and a loving God, is a springboard from all the rest. That leads us to peace, peace within, peace within ourselves. And that leads us to a love, a love that is not held back, a love that is not hindered by that fear. So let's look at that for a second, for a brief moment. Faith. Why is faith important? Again, because by faith we know that God is with us. By faith we know that God is present right now, right here, in us and with us. Can you see him with your eyes? You don't see him, right? Because he's invisible. But you know that he is here. And we know that by faith. By faith we can be aware of his presence. The awareness leads us to a response to that. And it's an act of worship, isn't it? That's why sometimes when we are here together, the best moment of worship is when we acquire, when we, when we gain that awareness that God is indeed present and our response is the worship of Him, the appreciation of Him. My daughter, I think, is a good example in that. When she was little, one time we went to visit our, uh, Suzanne's relatives in the uh, in, uh, Buffalo area. And uh, it was the 4th of July, and there were fireworks. So one, the night, we went out to see the fireworks. So we went on the bridge, and the fireworks were very close to us, and it was just beautiful, great. Except for the fact that she was a bit frightened by all these big booms and noises, and so what did she do? She came up to me, took my hand and started squeezing it real hard. I turned to her and I said, hey, Ellie, are you afraid? No, no. And she squeezed my hand and held it up close to, me, to her, you know. Why would she do that? What was that action? She wanted to know that daddy was with her. She felt safer in the presence of her daddy, which made me feel pretty good, by the way, You know, because it makes the daddy feel really great. But isn't it the same with us? If we could be truly, truly, truly aware of the presence of God with us, if we could be truly aware of the fact that God is here with us and is holding us by the hand and embracing us with His love, wouldn't that take away some, of our, away some, if not all, of our fears? Wouldn't that give us that sense of safety, that trust that the little child has toward Daddy? Much more than that, I would say. Much more than that. In Psalm 56, is written, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's a very good advice for us to follow as well. When we experience fear, let's check where we put our trust on. Because if we put our trust in the earthly things, if we put our trust in something other than God, then we have a reason to be afraid, because that will not deliver what we expect them to deliver. But if we place our trust in God, at the same time, we have no reason to be afraid. What did God say to Abraham? What did God say to Isaac and Jacob? And what did God say to Moses? What did God say to Joshua? What did God say to the leaders after them? There's one message, one statement that God repeats throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and that is, don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Over and over, God repeats the same message to us. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Because I am with you, and I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. So that faith gives us that root that we need to rely that God is with us, that we don't need to be fearful. In fact, the faith casts out fear, doesn't it? That's one of the truths the Scripture shares with us. But it also leads us to peace because by faith also we understand that the very God who is with us and he will be with us always and will never leave us and never forsake us is the same God that forgives us. It's the same God that has washed us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ from our sins. And so we don't have to worry about the consequences of our sins because that has been taken care of and we can find peace in God and peace within ourselves and peace with others as well. The presence of God gives us the peace of God, in fact. Psalm 23 talks about it. Even though I walk in through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and staff, they comfort me. That's a beautiful image. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no reason to fear. Why? Because you are with me. And then it says something interesting, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. What was the shepherd doing with the staff and the rod? What the shepherd uses the staff and the rod for is to take the sheep that goes astray and pull it back into the fold. Likewise, God reassures us of his love by pulling us back into the fold when we tend to go astray. So part of the whole process, perhaps in, in finding relief from fear, is To confess our sins to God and ask his forgiveness. Because chances are that we're we're really afraid. There is something going on within us. That we may need to confess to God. And just put it down on the table. Or better yet, put it down at the foot of a cross. And as we present ourselves before him and say, Father, here's, here's me. I know I've done this again. I know, I know. I put in my mind and my hope and my trust and and I'm forming these idols in my mind and all these things, so whatever it may be, would you please take it? I know you died for this. You died so that I can be cleansed. You died so that I can be saved. You died so that I can be forgiven so that that sin will no longer take its Be a burden and be an enslaving force and power in my life. But you give me the power of your presence, of the Holy Spirit within me, so that I can live in freedom, freedom that I find in Jesus Christ. Then in John chapter 14, Jesus said something very, very important. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Interesting. Interesting. In John 14, Jesus said, I'll leave you my peace, and because i leave you my peace, you don't need to fear. Why don't we need to fear when we have peace? Because we're at peace with God, because our future is secure in Christ, and because we don't need to worry about anything. So faith gives us the foundation of trust that can allow us to receive the gift of grace and a gift of mercy from God that gives us peace with him and peace within ourselves and now unhindered by all that baggage that otherwise we would have you can see the display of God's love at work perfect love scripture says casts out fear but a perfect love I I look at myself and I look in my mirror I don't see perfect love do you? None of us has perfect love. So what is this perfect love that he's talking about here? Could it be the love of God? Oh, that's an interesting thought. If that is a perfect love, now the perfect love, the love of God, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and therefore by the presence of the Holy Spirit through that faith and that peace. And now that love, not our own love, but the love that comes from God, His love that is shed abroad in our hearts by His presence in the person of the Holy Spirit, now is bearing out the fruit is carrying out the work. That perfect love casts out all the fear. And so we're coming full circle around, didn't we? Coming back to the fact that the very presence of God within us is, well, is the element that takes fear away from us. And I, we are allowed the scripture to explain what Paul wrote to Timothy, that God has given us not a spirit of fear because that is not the nature of God, but has given us a spirit of power and of a sound mind but especially a spirit of love. There is an author that I like that made a a very good point. I'd like to, to quote a few words from him. Love looks for opportunities to serve, asking, what can I do to help? But fear keeps worrying about possible consequences and asks, what will he do to me? Love thinks no evil. Fear thinks of little else. Love generates more love. Fear generates more fear. How can we be reassured in the love of God? The love that God has demonstrated toward us by giving His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. The love that He shed abroad in our hearts by His presence in the Holy Spirit. I think the answer comes from Jeremiah chapter 29. Where God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God says to all of us, I know the plans I have for you and they are good plans. You don't need to be afraid of the future because the future carries good things. Good things for all of those who love God. In 1 John chapter 4 in verse 18 is written there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And I think that that makes more sense right now. Fear involves punishment. And we experience fear when we are not in Christ, when we don't allow God's presence in us to be acknowledged, to be perceived, then we are lost. Without him, we are lost and we experience that fear because we are afraid of all sorts of different things happening to us. And why would we be afraid? Because ultimately we know that's what we deserve. But that's not what we're going to get in Christ And that's why the perfect love of God casts out all the fear from us because if a God who is so awesome and so majestic and so marvelous, the creator of all the universe not only came to this earth to live like you and I live, but he came to die and to take upon himself our sins, if he loves us that much, now look at the ending part of the book of John. When Jesus was dining with the disciples, when Judas Iscariot betrayed him, Knowing who he was and knowing that the Father had given him all authority in the universe. In other words, knowing that he had all power in all the universe, what did he do? He girded himself with a towel and he went to the disciples to wash their feet. He did the work of a slave, the work of a servant but it wasn't just the work of a slave or the work of a saint of a servant it was a declaration of the forgiveness that will be ongoing for all of us what he did in there was meaningful and important for all of us because it was a display that the love of god is not finished and ended in that event of a crucifixion but continues forever for eternity. And even though as we walk along in a Christian life we can accumulate some dirt in our feet, there is a love of God right there in and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ cleansing us and purifying us and cleaning us from all that. And so what worry do we need? When we are in Christ, we find that his love he is a perfect love and a perfectly sufficient Now, the question that we need to ask ourselves is very, very important. I think we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loves us. I think there is no room for doubt in there because God has demonstrated it in an awesome, marvelous, profound way that goes beyond description in terms of how profound and how deep it is. So we don't need to question his love, do we? Now, would you please do me a favor the next time you're afraid of something? With that in mind, trusting in God who is a sovereign God, who is the owner, the creator, the sustainer of the entire universe, who is almighty, who knows all things, but is also God of love. Knowing that and trusting in that, and knowing that God has paid for your sins, and knowing that in him, in Christ and through Christ, you have perfect peace with the Father, now look at the object of your fears and ask yourself what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of a knife? Is that knife really bigger than God? Because if I'm afraid of that knife more than I trust God, that knife it becomes bigger than God in my heart, doesn't it? And what can that knife do? In a worst case scenario that knife can take my life. But what does that do to me when God gives me eternal life? A life that nobody can take. A life that cannot be touched by any knife or any person or any bullet or anything or any car or any truck or anything. Nothing at all. So, when we put it in perspective, what do we really have to fear? Compare your fears with God, who loves you so much that he's willing to die for you. And ask yourself the question who's more powerful? Who is in control? Is the bridge that I'm afraid to cross in control or is God who created all the universe and who died for me on the cross to show that he loves me and to pay for my penalty for my sins so that I can have perfect life in him? Who is more powerful? Now I know as a Christians we're going to go through temptations. In Psalm 55 there's an example of such temptations. Sometimes even a holy man of God is tempted to look at the circumstances in life and be afraid, as a psalmist was. But if you look at the book of Psalms, you'll find out that what happens to the psalmist, is it tends to follow a certain pattern. After the fear is brought up to God and expressed before God, the psalmist also remembers who God is. And the psalmist says, but Lord, you are a great God, a God of mercy, a God of love and there is no reason for me to fear in you and the psalmist finds peace and comfort and he finds to be able to say even though i walk through the shadow of the valley of through the shadow of the valley of death i fear no evil why because you god are with me brothers and sisters god is with you and he's with you always and he loves you and his love has not diminished a single bit and his power has not been hindered by anything so next time you face a fear, ask yourself those questions. What am I afraid of? And is this greater or bigger than God? And then, and then just do one thing, please. Turn around. Don't be afraid of your fears. Because the one thing that will enslave you to fear is fear of fear. Oh, no. Here comes up the panic attack, anxiety attack, the fear attack. And, and you're afraid of it and you are bringing it upon yourself. No, no, don't do that. Rather focus on God. Tell him, Lord, I'm afraid. Would you take my hand, please? I need the embrace of your love. And I don't want to be afraid of my fears. I confess them to you. I acknowledge them before you, Father. But I need to put them at the foot of your cross because you are a loving God and a powerful God and you can take care of all of my fears. I am yours, you died for me. I'm dead in my, to myself and I'm alive in you. And I know that my future is secure. Please take hold of my hand. Walk with me. Be my daddy. Because I'm scared. God bless you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the peace that you give us in your love and we thank you for the faith that you fill us, our hearts with and your presence in our life, and your commitment and your promise that echoes throughout the the centuries of Scripture that we don't need to fear because you are with us. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Since the time of Jesus Christ, you've done even more than that, Father, because you have promised to have your presence within us, to abide, to dwell in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that is so awesome, Father, And there should be no reason whatsoever that with the presence of your Spirit, we should be afraid. And yet, in our humanity, in our humanness, sometimes we experience a fear. So we give them to you. We give our fears, Father, to you. We we commit them to you. We place them at the foot of your cross. And we ask you, by your grace and by your mercy, to help us to be aware of your loving embrace, of the fact that you do take us by the hand, and you walk with us every step of the way. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.